are going to be in Philippians 4, and I thank you guys for coming on Memorial Day weekend. Um, it's so great for you guys to join us, and I'm so thankful that we get to um, serve and worship together freely, so I'm thankful for those who sacrificed and served and gave their life even so that we could be here together worshiping freely, so it's an important thing I think we can remember on Memorial Day weekend. And like I said, today we're in Philippians 4. Um, that might mess with some of you a little bit who um, are, you know, you who want to go in a process and go down the line. Matt's been in, in um, Philippians 3, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit. But don't worry, we will come back to the end of uh, chapter 3. We're not going to leave you hanging there. And we will um, also hit uh, 1, 2, and 3, and 4 as well. But today we're going to start in Philippians 4, verse 4. And um, there's this thing in Christian culture, some of you guys... Um, who have been Christians for a long time might know this, but someone may have asked you, like, what's your life verse or what's your life passage? And so for Christians, sometimes it's, it's a verse that they know really well that means something really important to them. And for me, this is it. This passage, Philippians 4 through 9, is my life passage. So let's, uh, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to read through it, and then um, I won't leave you hanging. I'll tell you why. So Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So uh, when I was younger, I struggled a lot with... Um, I would say fear and kind of, um, I would say maybe a little bit of depression, look back on it now. And um, so if I look back on it, I can think that it was probably my misunderstanding of the scriptures and who God was that really led to a lot of that fear and that depression. Um, and so since the scriptures weren't really working out for me since you know, they didn't, weren't doing what I wanted them to do, I decided that I was going to kind of build my own life for myself. I was going to make the life that I wanted so that I could feel happy. Uh, and so that worked out really well for me uh, up until, I would say, my senior year of college. Things were going great. I was uh, uh, living the life that I wanted because I don't know if you guys know this. There's a, probably some college students still over here. There's this thing called the student loan lottery, and you can just hit it. And you just like sign some papers and they give you this check and it's awesome and you just keep getting money and if you spend all that money they'll give you more you just sign another paper i think you're supposed to read a lot but i didn't do that i just signed the paper and, and the money came so i was spending lots of money i was really enjoying my life i had this girlfriend who i thought maybe we were gonna get married after we graduate and i had this job lined up and things were really going awesome and then what seems like like overnight everything that i had thought that i all this life that I, you know, built for myself was just swept out from underneath me. It was all taken away in an instance. 
And on top of that, th because of this, I started getting all these physical symptoms. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep most of the time. But when I did, I'd wake up, and my heart's pounding, right? My heart's racing, and I didn't know what was going on, and I couldn't breathe, and it felt like I was having a heart attack. And it was really weird. I'm like, something is really wrong with me. And, and then other weird stuff started happening. It started getting worse and worse and more often. And I started developing, like, the only way I can describe it to you guys right now, it's a little bit weird, but T-Rex arms. Like, I'm sitting there, and I, I'm doing this, and I don't know why, and I can't really use my arms, and my muscles are spasming, right? And this is happening over and over again. And I'm thinking, something is really wrong. And it all came to this point. I can remember one night, I'm, uh, I'm in my college dorm room, or I, I guess we were like, it's like this three shared room area. And I'm uh, having, you know, one of these issues with, with the physical symptoms. And so I'm laying on the floor at this point, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. I literally was thinking, I can't breathe. I'm going to die. So I, I did what only anybody else would do. It's probably 1 a.m., and I bust into my roommate's room, and I go, can you, you got to imagine, he's sleeping in the middle of the night, and he, like, wakes straight up because I've burst open the door, and I go, Chris! And he goes, and I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm dying. Help me. And he's like, how are we having this conversation? It turns out that, you know, in order to communicate, to talk, you actually have to breathe. So I could breathe. I just somehow thought that I couldn't. So I was figuring something is really wrong here with me. Something is really going on. And so, uh, you know, I was at OSU and they have like an on-campus um, like health clinic area. So I go there and then tell the doctor all my symptoms and she goes, yeah, you've got generalized anxiety disorder. And I was like, doesn't feel very general. What does that mean? <laughs> so, and then they gave me all these other disorders, like panic disorder. And I think there was like the word mania in there. I don't know. They just kept throwing definitions at me, defining me, right? And so um, along with that, they started prescribing pills. And so I started taking these pills. And for me, things weren't getting any better. Things were actually getting worse. More and more symptoms were happening. And on top of that, I was just losing a lot of hope at this point. I can remember um, I, had, I just had figured and kind of accepted the fact that I probably am going to be institutionalized because that was like the only thing that gave me hope was just like being somewhere where I felt safe um, and just being somewhere where I didn't have to worry about all of this stuff that was going on anymore. And so they also, they also gave me a counselor and I can, it was about my third session in, like I'd been meeting with this guy and uh, I'm sitting in front of this counselor, this very nice guy, you know, I'm looking to him for all the answers right now. I'm just like, tell me what I need to do, man. And really what I'm hoping for is that he's going to tell me that, you know, we'll, we'll send you an institution. You are too far gone. And I'm going to be like, okay. But he says to me, he says, Matt, I need you to understand something. In order for you to move on, you need to accept that this is, uh, this is how you're always going to be. This is who you are now, and once you accept that you have anxiety and that this is who you are, then we can give you some tools to cope with the symptoms. And I remember thinking at that moment, actually, I wasn't thinking, it was like I was hearing a voice in my head, and it was like the God of the universe was standing behind me, and he was saying, well, I won't tell you the word he said, but it was like, that's not true. I was in college, forgive me. It was a different word. I'm not going to say it from the stage. But he's like, that's not true. I've got something so much better for you. Matt, you need to realize who you are. And at that point in my life, I begin to understand 
who God really was, and I really began to understand the scriptures and what they meant for my life. And I had this transformation point. My perspective on everything changed. And through that, I learned these disciplines that helped me in any situation. And when I'm starting to feel that anxiety, when I'm starting to feel some of that depression come back, I learned these disciplines. And I believe today, Paul is communicating three disciplines. And those are the discipline of joy, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of thinking. The discipline of joy, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of thinking. And so let's start out in uh, verse 4 and just get in it. So Paul says, rejoice. And I know I'm one word in my sermon, but I'm already going to stop because wasn't it in verse 3? Didn't he just say, finally, brothers, rejoice? Like, finally, what does that word mean, Paul? Don't you get what finally means? And yet here he is again in chapter 4, in verse 4, saying rejoice. And he repeats himself. And so I think in order to understand what Paul's trying to communicate to us, we need to break it down and, and give it some context. And so we got to remember who Paul is, right, and where he's writing from. Paul is in prison at this point. He has been removed from his family, his friends, right? He's probably been tortured a number of times, beaten, um, all of his comforts taken away. Roman prison was no joke. And so Paul is writing to us from this place, and yet this is Paul who in uh, chapter 3 has said, man, I had everything that this world has to offer. I had it all, right? I had everything that I could ever desire, the status, the money, the knowledge, people wanted to be me, and it was loss. I consider it nothing. This is the Paul who in chapter 1 said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is a guy who gets joy. As I'm reading through this passage, I'm, I'm sort of trying to picture Paul, right, and like, what's going on when he's reading it, and I keep having this vision over and over in my head, and so like, Paul's in prison, and there's this knock on the door, knock, 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 hey, Paul, it's time for your daily beating, Paul's like, okay, Bob, and I don't know why Bob is in my head, but it's Bob, okay, it's a nice Roman name, don't question it, and so, so he says, okay, Bob, you know, just let me get back to writing my love letter to the Philippians, and he's probably like whistling, too, and they're like, what is wrong with this guy? This is Paul, he gets joy, Right? He has some credibility to tell us to rejoice again. And he says, rejoice in the Lord, and he repeats himself, again I will say rejoice. And I think to understand a little bit more, we can find why he's saying it again in verse 5. Right? Paul has, in Philippians, he has told us, I think up to this point, 12 different ways to rejoice. He's going through all these situations in which we must rejoice. But then he gets word, we haven't gone over it, but in verses 2 and 3, there's this conflict that's going on in the church. So Paul says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Paul's saying when you get joy, Christians, it changes you, right? There are some physical results of that. You need to look like people who get joy. And that's not what's happening because he sees this conflict. So Paul is saying, you know, we've been talking about the fact that he's like building up this goal, right? He's setting the goal before us. Paul is this kind of athletic guy and he uses this like race terms a lot. So he's talking about goal and finish line and stuff. So he's saying, hey, you know, you're running the race. You need to get the goal, right? But there's some work you got to do in between. Like if I were to tell you guys that I was going to go run a 10K tomorrow, a couple of you guys by my appearance, I know I'm pretty trim, but I, I'm not quite 10K yet. And so you might say, hey, Matt, you might want to do some work between here and there. This is what Paul is saying, 
right? You guys need to look like Christians who get joy. You need to be practicing. You need to be running the race. So what happens? Why don't we look like Christians who get joy? I think because the key phrase here is he says rejoice in the Lord. And you and I have this issue. We're human beings, and we struggle with this. And so when we say rejoice, we say rejoice in my wife. Rejoice in my husband. Rejoice in my job. Rejoice in my financial situation. Rejoice in my awesome house, my nice yard, my nice car, my boat, my dirt bike. Put it in there. This is what you and I do. We say rejoice in, and we're always thinking about rejoicing in the things of this world. It's constant, right? Or, or even so much, those don't end up working out for us. So you know what we move to next? Rejoice in that, that next job, right? Rejoice in that next house. Rejoice in that next relationship. Rejoice in that next thing because those things don't work out for us. So we think maybe we'll find some, some other area of happiness in this world. And it doesn't work out for us. And it's because Paul is telling us you're not getting it. You're not running the race. You don't see the vision that's before you. And so Paul finishes kind of this section of, on joy. And he says something that I, just, I really thought was interesting. He says at the end of this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And there's a couple ways you could think about this. I think the first way would be that God is always near, right? That the Lord is always near you. He's around you. And I think that's true, absolutely, 100%. But I think really, if you, if you really think about what's going on with Paul here, when he says the Lord is at, is at hand, it is truth. Like, Paul is in the Roman prison. Bob, again, I wish I hadn't used that name because it's not very threatening, but Bob the guard is probably going to come in at any moment and maybe execute Paul. Like, for Paul, the Lord really is at hand. The Lord is near to him. And this is why Paul in chapter 1 is saying, man, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He is excited about the opportunity to go and be with Christ. And he's telling us, your perception needs to change, Christians. If you want to find joy, your joy cannot be satisfaction in this world. It cannot be happiness and temporary things, right? Your joy has to come from the mindset that God is near, that I've got something better for you, that nothing on this earth is going to satisfy you, so stop trying. Practice the discipline of rejoicing, right? Because when you don't, what happens? Same thing that happened to me. You build your life on temporary things that can be swept out from underneath you at any moment. Right? And Paul knows what's coming next if you do that. And so he attacks the next section in verse 6. And I just have to stop right here because I think Matt said a few weeks ago that uh, chapter 3, verse 9 was like the best passage in all of Scripture. And maybe he hasn't gotten to this point yet. I don't know what, but I'm going to disagree with him because uh, chapter 4, verse 6 is definitely the best passage in all of Scripture, the best verse in all of Scripture. Uh, I actually have some evidence, too. Amazon came out with some statistics about the, the Kindle reader, and the most highlighted verse um, in the Bible, in the Kindle Bible, is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, this verse. And to top it off, I woke up today, like, this is just extra proof. This is awesome. God has really got my back on this one. It's the verse of the day in the Bible app. Come on! Right? I, I, I think we've got it. Okay, 
So let's read it, because I got you guys excited about it. I hope you're excited. Do not be anxious about anything. You still excited? I'm not. <laughs> okay, maybe Paul doesn't understand where we are in America today, right? Maybe he doesn't understand anxiety. Uh, over 43 million Americans are diagnosed with anxiety, right? And they think that only two-thirds, or sorry, one-third of them are actually go with that diagnosis, that there are two-thirds who don't receive the diagnosis. So there are a lot of people in our country suffering with anxiety. In fact, we spend $4 billion every year trying to deal with this issue. It gets even worse. Half of the people who have anxiety go on to struggle with addictions, right, because they're trying to cope with it. They're trying to find their pleasure in the bottle or something else, right? And, and I think, like, I can't remember the statistic, but the majority of them also struggle with depression. All of this stuff goes hand in hand. It is a crisis in America. The number one mental crisis in America is anxiety. And Paul just tells us, do not be anxious about anything. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but in everything. You see what he just did there? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The answer to anxiety is right here in the scriptures. It's the most highlighted verse. It's the verse of the day. It's prayer. And it's the discipline of prayer, right? It's, it's not this type of prayer that I think sometimes you and I want to pray, which is, God, I'm in this really difficult situation. God, please help me in this situation so that I can get back to comfort so that I can get back to that life that I wanted to build for myself, right? No, Paul is saying it's a thanksgiving type of prayer. It's a, a humble prayer that says, God, you can do it. I can't. It's a prayer that says, God, everything that I need, that I want, depends on you. God, you know best for me. It's a waking up and saying, God, I need you to breathe. I need you to be there for me today. I need you because I can't do my job anymore. I need you because of my marriage. I need you because you put it in there. It is everything. So if you have anything in your head to worry about, God's, Paul says, give it to God. Make your requests known to him, right? With thanksgiving, it's understanding joy, right? When you understand joy, you understand that this world is a gift that God has given you. The, the word joy uh, in Greek closely translates to gift. And so Paul's saying, be thankful for that gift. You got to get joy and you got to give your requests to God. And so he goes on to verse seven. What do we get from this? It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We get the peace of God. What he's saying here is it doesn't make any sense, and it's not supposed to. See, where you and I struggle is we try to do things. We try to solve our problems. We try to fix them. And Paul is saying, you actually get rid of your worry by doing nothing about it and just giving it to God. 
And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Paul says, it's not supposed to. It's beyond all understanding. It's the peace of God. We serve a God who we don't get to get. Right? We serve a God who is greater than our understanding, and he can give us the peace that surpasses all of our understanding. And so then Paul goes into, well, he, he talks about the fact that it, this peace of God, right, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I, I think I, I love the fact that he uses this word guard right here. You know, we've been singing this song. We sang it today. It's called Defender. And man, that song is my anthem right now because when you see God as your defender, right, if you think about who he's talking to, he's talking to those Philippians under Roman rule who also could, you know, Bob's going to come. i got to stop using Bob. I don't like that name anymore. But the, the guards are going to come in, and, and they're going to take them away as, as well because right now, you know, where they're at, it's not popular to be Christian. At any moment in their Bible study, in their community groups, something can come in and take them away. And so Paul says, it's going to guard your hearts and your minds, right? Don't be afraid. God's got you, right? Jesus is our defender. I, I, and so, man, that resonates with me. We need God to guard our hearts and our minds, right? Because what happens? Well, those thoughts come in. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those thoughts, they're constantly there. If you've ever experienced anxiety, they're there a lot. <laughs> they're, they're going on all the time, and you can't really turn them off. Um, and so Paul attacks thinking, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what's Paul talking about? What are all these things that he's talking about? I think, again, you and I might try to think that maybe some of these things are in this world, right? Like, you know, whatever is honorable and just and pure, we might try to find those things. Lovely, I mean, my wife's really lovely, so she, yeah, I have to say that from the stage at some point, right? Um, <laughs> but what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the Word of God, right? This is the only thing that is really true, that is really honorable, that is really worthy of praise. It's the living Word. It's Jesus personified in, you know, the Scriptures personified Jesus. Paul is talking about thinking about God here, where we get into trouble is we're often distracted. We've been talking about the fact that there are so many things to distract us, right? Like, we've got Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Google, Apple, a lot of things that I'm just like, what are they showing on these apps? Like, my TV has so many apps on it that I have no idea what they are, and I will never use them. We have so many ways to entertain ourselves. Or, or maybe we're on Facebook or Instagram, right? And, and we've just spent three hours scrolling through uh, our Facebook feed and looking at everybody's life and saying, man, my life needs to look like their life. And so, so we find all these other ways to distract yourself. We've got to do some yard work, and I've got to get in shape because I've got to look like that guy. Uh, and, oh, man, their kids play all those sports. Why don't my kids play all those sports? Man, I better get my kids in sports. And then it's like, oh, sports cost money. I better get a better job, right? And then I've got to work longer hours, and it's, all of these things are filling your head. And, and then all of a sudden, you don't have any time. I don't have any time to read the, the Word of God. I'm too busy trying to look like the people on Facebook. It's ridiculous, but tell me you guys don't do this. Right now, tell me you guys don't do this. This is us. 
right? We are not continually in the Word of God. We are distracted from it by any and every means possible because we want to serve the God of comfort. We want to be entertained, right? Satan does not want you to be thinking of the things of God because, man, that's when Christianity becomes real. Satan wants you to be distracted. So Paul says, you have to get the discipline of thinking. You have to be in the word of God. You have to pursue Jesus. You have to love him, and you have to want to be with him, and your thoughts need to be about him because Satan wants to get in, and Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you from that. So then we come to the end of this passage and Paul kind of puts this bookend on this, right? Paul is saying, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's not saying, be me. Paul's not saying, look at everything that I just did and be like me. Paul's not telling you to look at him. We know from the life of Paul, Paul is telling you to, to look at what he's told you. Paul is constantly pointing to Christ. For Paul, it all started on the road to Damascus. It all started when his perception changed, when God met him where he was at, and he showed him the gospel. And if you study Philippians at all, you'll know that um, in the, the second chapter, that it's kind of, there's this hinge point verse on everything that, that you know, the, all of Philippians um, hinges on Philippians 2.8, which says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Right? Everything that Paul talks about, everything that Paul does goes back to the gospel. It goes back to Jesus' work on the cross. Because Paul is saying, don't be like me. Don't struggle with anxiety like I did and deal with it like I did. Paul says, find your hope and your joy and your prayers in Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus did these disciplines the best. If you, if you look at the gospel story, you look at the gospel account of Matthew, you see that it says in Matthew 26, 37 through 39, you don't need to turn there, but let's read through it. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you, as you will. You see, when Jesus was going to the cross, when Jesus was about to face a very, and in the midst of a very difficult situation, what do we see that he did here? He didn't, he didn't go to the comforts of this world, right? He didn't go to the things that are temporary. He went immediately to prayer. Jesus is saying he is experiencing anxiety and depression like you and I have never felt. Like, I've had some really bad panic attacks. I've had some really bad anxiety I can't remember ever sweating blood. Jesus was sweating blood at this point. Jesus was so torn apart. And there's this spiritual battle going on right now that we don't even understand, but his mind is being attacked. And what does he do? 
He goes to God the Father. He's God the Son. He's going to God the Father in prayer. He's saying, my Father, I'm worried about this. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, right? He's actually praying for a situation change here. But we know that God doesn't do that, right? God doesn't answer the prayer the way Jesus prayed it. Jesus made his request known to God. And so if we look at Hebrews 12, 2, we can see what happened here. Why did Jesus go and endure the cross? It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, what got Jesus through that difficult situation was not that his situation changed. He went to God in prayer. He made his request known. And then there was, the Spirit came down, and, and, and you know, I don't know exactly how this works because, you know, God is, he is God, but the hope before him, the joy before him, was being with God, seated at the right hand of God. That kingdom vision, the end of things, right? The battle that's been won. Jesus was looking forward to that, and that joy allowed him to endure the suffering, right? The situation didn't change, but Jesus had joy. Jesus demonstrated these principles. And, he, and you can see from this time until he went to the cross, he's constantly thinking and meditating on God, and he's constantly quoting scripture at this point, right? This is what helped him endure the cross. This is how Jesus was able to do it. Jesus was the perfecter of these disciplines. And Paul is saying, don't look at me. Remember what I've taught you. Remember Jesus crucified on the cross for your sins. He was buried for you, and he rose again, and he gave you the power to do it. So look to Jesus. Just like I needed that perception change, we all need that perception change, and it starts there. We can't do these disciplines without knowing who Jesus is and what he did for us. It starts with the cross. And so Paul says, practice these things. Let me tell you why you need to practice these things. I'm going to give you an example here. So uh, I've been really stressed lately. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you right here. I've been really stressed. And, we, and it came to this point, I don't know, maybe last week. And, I, um, you know, my wife and I, we bought a house a little while ago, and man, we were so excited about this house and what we're going to do with it. We were so excited about this yard that our kids were going to play in, um, and at the same time, I got this job that I really wanted. Some of you might see where this is going right now. <laughs> and so all these things that I really wanted were happening, right? And you know what the problem was? Well, this house had some issues we didn't know about. So this house came with a lot of issues, and this great yard that we have has a lot of weeds in it. Oh my gosh, you guys would not understand. Maybe some of you do, but there, how are there so many weeds right now? It's that, spring in Oregon, right? Um, and then this job that, man, it was going to be so great. It was going to satisfy me. Well, this job is really stressful. This job requires to me a lot of my time and my focus, time that I should be putting into my house and my yard. So I'm so stressed out. And at the same time, this is where my mind goes, and it drives my wife crazy, I'm sure. Um, and so I'm like, well, we need to take some vacations, right? That's where you should go with all of this. Like, you just need to get away from it all. And so I'm like, we got to go on vacations. And Annika's like, Matt, she kind of gives me some perspective here. She's like, I don't feel like we're on the same page. I feel like you're really stressed out, but you're talking about all of these different things that you want to do. 
And, I'm, uh, and so, of course, you know, my wife has called me out here, and so, of course, what do I do? I open up an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Didn't think I was going to go there, did you? Isn't that what we all do when we're feeling stressed? We open an Excel spreadsheet? No? That's what I did. So I open up this Excel spreadsheet, right? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show my wife how awesome I am here and all this project management skills I've developed. So I start plugging in all the things that we want to do and all the things that we need to do. And I start making these tables and I'm doing some cost analysis and I'm prioritizing things. And I'm like so awesome. I'm like, check me out, Annika. Check out what I can do. And we get to the end of this. And she's super impressed, I promise you. She's like, wow, dude, this guy knows Excel. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and so, so we get to the end of this table, and there's this problem. See, there's this column where it's like, here's the money we need. And then there's this other column that's like, here's the, the, the money we have. And then there, there I did the, the time column. So here's the time that we need, and here's the time that we have, and here's all these priorities. Well, they didn't match up very well. We see, we didn't have the money we need, and we didn't have the time to do all of this. So I, I just sit there, and I look at this Excel spreadsheet, and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm telling Annika, man, and I've got this sermon that I've got to preach about anxiety. <laughs> you, you would think at this point I would, I would get it, but no. And this is why I love my, one of the many reasons why I love my wife, because she calls me out, she punches me in the gut at this moment, and she goes, Hey, Matt, are you practicing what you're preaching? Oh, dang. Ow. I'm doing it again. The guy who was back here, right, suffering from anxiety, who built his life up, who thought that that was going to work out for him, the guy who's supposed to be preaching on anxiety today, isn't getting it. Right? We have to practice these things. And I think what's interesting about this, and from my story, is Paul's not just preaching to you and I. He is, he's saying, practice these things to you and I. But Paul is preaching to the church, right? Paul is, in a sense, preaching to outward church right now. We can't do this alone. If you remember from Matthew and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Jesus didn't even do this alone. Jesus took people to pray with him and pray for him. Right? I needed Annika to remind me. Discipline does not happen without discipleship. You can't do this on your own. It starts with Jesus. It starts with that transformation. But it goes on to discipleship. You see, there was that justification, and now we're in the process of sanctification. Right? It starts with Jesus and justification, but then there has to be sanctification, and Jesus models that through discipleship. The elders, we pray about this a lot. We want to be intentional at Outward Church about discipleship. You see, um, our hope, we, we kind of have a hidden agenda. I'm going to give a little bit of secrets away to you from the church here. I hope that uh, this doesn't you know, touch my status, but we don't just put donuts out so that you come back next weekend. You guys probably didn't realize that. Like, we don't have coffee out there and donuts so that you come back week to week and you sit in the pews. I mean, we want you to do that. That is a good thing. You get to hear the word of God. That's awesome. But we want more for you, right? Everything we do here is intentional. And so we put a donut out in the hopes that you grab a donut and someone says, hey, 
How's it going? I'm Jim Bob. I gotta stop saying Bob. What's wrong with me? Jim Bob? The things that come to your head. We put donuts out so that so that you you might meet someone and you might develop a relationship. And we hope that maybe you'll go to Connect Central and you'll meet Katie and she'll say, oh man, this group is really good for you. And you start going there and you meet someone there and maybe you develop a relationship. Or, or maybe you're, you're serving at Outward Church and I, I know everybody thinks that we just had this one team kids and they do need a lot of help, but I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, parking team now. Maybe you're serving on parking. I led that team for a year. It's so much fun. You guys should do it. Uh, love walking out there. And, and maybe you're walking with a guy, right, and, and, and you guys really get to know each other, and you go out to coffee, and you develop a relationship, right? And these just aren't friendships, but these are discipleship opportunities. Because maybe, maybe we have this saying here, maybe you now know someone, and you're known. What that means is maybe someone knows you on a deeper level, and maybe you know them on a deeper level, so they can ask you, Hey, Matt, how's your prayer life? Hey, Matt, where's you, where are you finding your joy today? I know you've been going through this really difficult situation. Where are you placing your joy? Hey, Matt, what are you reading about? What's, what, what, what thoughts are getting into your head? Right? Discipline doesn't happen without discipleship. We are here together at Word Church to strengthen and encourage each other through the process of sanctification. We are here for that reason. This, that's what God has, why has God has called us into community. That's why Paul is talking to his church here. We want discipleship to happen, and everything we do leads to that reason. But we aren't just sanctified for the purpose of sanctification. We aren't just saved from something. We are saved to something, right? So it doesn't stop there. Discipleship doesn't stop there. So our hope is that now maybe you've been walking with someone for a while and, and you've gone through some discipleship, you know, you've gone through a process and, and now maybe, um, maybe you have like a, a really bad job. Maybe it's a state job. I don't know why I'm thinking about a state job. Some of you may know, but maybe you have this really awful state job and it's really depressing but man, you don't find your joy in that job, right? And maybe you've been praying for some coworkers in that job, and, and you're just praying for some opportunities there. And so, so one day, this, one of those coworkers who you've been praying for stops you and says, hey, man, you did not deal with that situation the way I thought you should. And, and I've noticed that, man, you, you're just different. Like, this job sucks. Our boss sucks. Why are you so happy? What's going on inside you, Right? And then maybe you've been in the Word, and maybe you've been thinking about the things of God, and God brings something to your head, and you get to share Jesus with him that day or her, right? This is the process of sanctification. We are saved to something, right? This is what the gospel does, right? This is the hope that we have out of these disciplines. We don't just do these disciplines so that we get to be happy-go-lucky, like Ned Flanders-type Christians where we're just weird and whistling all the time. Like, part of that is true, I think. We need to be set apart from the world. But we need to be Christians who look like joy, right? We need to get, be Christians who are joyful, right? And so Paul is saying, practice these things. 
and the God of peace will be with you because the ultimate goal, the ultimate hope here is not that we get, the, we get the peace of God, but that we get the God of peace, right? We don't just want one attribute of God. We want all of God. And there's a city out there that needs us to get that. As Paul is saying here, he's saying, you know, we've talked about it previously. Paul's saying, be the light in the world. And the city of Salem needs outward church to be that light. We need to reflect God's grace in our city. Because I can tell you as I was preparing for this sermon, you know, we've got a lot of exciting things going on in the city of Salem. It's a growing city. It's, people are talking about how great it's getting. It's no longer called so lame. Well, some of us still call it that just for fun. But, like, it's actually a pretty cool city to live in. But I'm sitting there studying for this message out in downtown Salem, and I hear a bunch of people, and they're not excited in their conversations, man. They, they are experiencing anxiety, and depression. I mean, I'm hearing this as I'm studying this word, and I'm thinking, man, this city needs light. Our church, we need to be that light. We need to practice the discipline of joy, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of thinking. Would you guys make that your prayer with me today? Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for your grace. God, I'm so thankful that you meet us where you're at, where we're at. God, I'm so thankful that it doesn't depend on us, that I am incapable of doing any good, God. I'm thankful for my anxiety. I'm thankful for those who experience anxiety because we get to continually be reminded that we need you, God. And I pray for those who are here and they don't feel like they're struggling and they feel like they've got it together. God, they need you so much more. God, I pray for you to break that spirit down, to show them their dependence on you, to show them who you are through whatever means possible. God, so that they may experience the joy that is set before them. God, that they may have relationship with you. I pray that Outward Church is a body of people who work together, who have that vision, who are changed by the gospel, and who are disciplined through discipleship. God, would you make us about that? Would you make us about you? Would we have the God of peace with us? May we experience not only your peace, but experience you. I pray this in your great name.